degree heat every day. It's the middle of July, and I'll be honest, I'm going to spend at least part of this coming weekend thinking a lot about the Stanley Cup playoffs. What do you know, right? Good morning. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. Proud this morning to welcome a new partner to this show. That's the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Our friends over there, Brian Goulish in particular, reached out to us a little while back and asked what they could give back to us after we'd done some things for them. And it was like, are you kidding me? No, nothing. You're the food bank. You're the ones doing the the good work. Uh, We've worked out a partnership here, and we're happy to do everything that we can to help. That'll begin today with this message for you. During normal times, one in seven people in our region are food insecure, including one in five children. Think about that. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from can be a scary thought. Now, during the pandemic, the need for food is that much greater, as we've seen from some of the news clips and the headlines. If you are in need of food assistance, or if you'd like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank's mission of feeding people in need, eliminating hunger in our region, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. The website's outstanding. Go there and take a look. Explains uh, everything, including the amazing math I gave you there at the end about one dollar creating five meals. There's a way that they do that. Coming Monday is the Stanley Cup playoffs. Nah, not really. Coming up Monday is the Penguins training camp. They've been up there skating uh, in Cranberry for a couple of weeks now. It's been, I wouldn't call it informal, but I'd call it a little bit looser. It's been a lot of skills drills. It's been a lot of wind sprints. It's been a lot of things to get people ready for training camp in that order. Ty Hennis, the Penguins skills instructor, is the one who's been overseeing most of it, but what starts on Monday is a completely different world. That's when Mike Sullivan, Jacques Martin, Mark Recchi, the whole staff gets in there, Mike Buckley, the goaltending coach, and they run a real live training camp. Is it going to look exactly like what they usually do every September? No, not a chance. Um, Never mind the fact that they've got to abide by protocols out there on the ice. You're going to see, not on the players, not when they're on the ice, but you're going to see masks uh, on some of the officials and some of the, the equipment people that are on the benches. You're going to see players encouraged to do social distancing, which is going to sound and look and feel really weird, kind of like a lot of what I've seen in the past week from the Pirates at PNC Park, but is also part of the process. Uh, all teams in all sports and all players who are participating are being asked to follow these processes. Some of them, no doubt, are in place for optics, but for the most part, being too safe isn't going to hurt anybody along the way. That said, there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of preparation at hand. Of all the facets of what the Penguins will be up against here in the next two and a half weeks, the number one is that the first real game that they play which by all accounts will be on August 1 up in Toronto against Montreal, will be Game 1 of the playoffs in a best-of-five series. I'm not 
going to throw this at you just to play boogeyman or whatever, but just picture the Penguins losing game one. I don't care how little you think of Montreal's group of forwards, and I don't think much of them. I don't care how little you think of their defensemen, and other than Shea Weber, I don't think much of them either. And I don't care if you think that Carey Price is overrated, which a lot of people do. I don't. I do know that if Montreal wins game one, all of the pressure swings to Pittsburgh. In fact, all of the pressure starts out with Pittsburgh. In a 24-team tournament, Montreal is number 24. They have no business being in this tournament. They know it. They're going in just for fun. Claude Julien, their uh, head coach, said the other day up in Quebec to reporters, they're looking to go into it and make a splash. They're seeing it as a great opportunity. Of course it's an opportunity. It's found gold. They shouldn't even have been this far. It's crazy that they're in it. I get why, to an extent, the NHL had an ex- you know this ridiculous circumstance, and they didn't want to leave anybody out who they thought might have had a chance to get in in the final dozen or so games that each team would have had left in the regular season. Montreal still wouldn't have had a chance, but they needed to even out the numbers, and the Canadians ended up getting in, and this is what it is. But for them, this is going to be la-di-da. For the Penguins, look at it from the standpoint, if you will, and I'm going to go boogeyman on you here again. But if you'll recall what the Penguins were like, and I recall the locker room very vividly at the time when Jerome Ginla was acquired, and the Penguins were beating everybody. This was after that deadline. They were just mowing teams down. These games weren't even remotely interesting. The last time I had seen the Penguins look like that in a regular season was 1993, when half the roster was made up of Hall of Famers, and the Penguins went on that 17-0-1 run to finish the regular season, and we all know how David Volick ended that. In this case, with the Aginla group, the expectations were so high. Still, Sid and Gino were still uh, younger and in their prime, you had great goaltending. You had everything. You had, That team was just beyond stacked. And what they were able to do on the power play was out of this world. And then they ran into a Boston team and Tuka Rask that ended up taking them down as if they were nothing. So much pressure. And they felt it. And they squeezed their sticks to sawdust. I don't know if that's going to happen with this group. I don't know that we're going to have a chance to find out because they're leaping right from a March 10 victory in Newark that followed a pretty lousy stretch of hockey to four months of absolutely nothing to game one. But if you lose game one, and now you're in that locker room, and you're looking around at Patrick Marlowe, who's, if he's not a, a, a lock to be done after this year. I don't know who is. Never won a Stanley Cup. That's a little bit of extra pressure. You look at Jake Gensel being in there. Never could have expected that to happen. What great fortune. Jason Zucker being in there, who was only acquired because you didn't think you'd have Gensel. So you have all these great 
possibilities, and, I, and I'm not even mentioning that having Matt Murray and Tristan Jari in the same locker room might not be the case next year either. There's a lot of pressure factors here. There's a lot of things that you're going to be thinking about as a player that this is a special chance to win the Stanley Cup. Not the special chance that Montreal has just to participate for a week or two. It's a chance to win another cup. And I'm not even mentioning the elephant in the room is that Sid and Gino aren't really technically in their prime anymore. Neither is Chris Letang. They're still elite players, but they're not what they would have been three, four, five, seven years ago. So there's an opportunity. They know it. That can cause pressure in a room. That can cause pressure before the playoffs. But now multiply that many times over after losing game one. Because after you lose game one, now you've got to win three out of four to say it again. They have to be prepared somehow, some way, not just physically, but mentally, to go into that game one as if it's a game seven. And the onus for that falls not only on the team's leadership. A lot of those guys I've already mentioned, I'll throw in Brian Dumoulin, Patrick Hornquist, some of the more vocal guys that they have. Ultimately, it goes to Mike Sullivan. He has to conduct a camp that has these guys breathing fire and ready to run through a wall come the end of this month. He has to have them ready to take the ice against the Canadians as if the Canadians are the most hated version they've ever faced of the Washington Capitals. Because there won't be another round like it at any point along the way. All the rest of the playoffs, for those of you who aren't familiar, are going to be best of seven. It's just that first round. It's not even technically first round. They're calling it preliminary round, play-in round. That's a best of five. If the Penguins do execute it, and they are smart about this, they're aggressive, and they get rid of Montreal in a hurry, they're actually going to have an advantage, I believe, over the next opponent they face, which will be somebody who was just sitting around. Yeah, I mean, the teams that are the top four seeds in each conference have to play each other for some seeding purposes. It's not the same thing, and they know that. They're not facing elimination. They're going to move from two to three, or from, at the very best, from four to one. There's not really much of a reward to it. They know that. You can convince yourself of a lot of things, but you can't convince yourself that that's as important as an elimination series. The Penguins would go into that next round with a significant advantage in that they would already have ramped themselves up to a very high level in dispatching Montreal properly. But again, that ultimately is on the head coach. It will be fascinating to see how that plays out. When we come back... I'm going to give you one player, above all, that I'm looking forward to watching at this game. Welcome back. Going all hockey here. I had the good fortune to be at PNC Park for the better part of the past week, uh, right through several hours over there again yesterday watching the summer camp. Uh, it's been an experience. It's been amazing to be back in 
place where I'm used to covering sports. It's been fun to be at work. It's been neat to see Derek Shelton and his staff uh, start to come together. They're going to really get that going with two three-inning scrimmages later today. They were supposed to have one last night, and then these awful storms came and chased us all out of there. It's been fun. I'm looking forward just as much to seeing the Penguins on Monday up in Cranberry. This is uh, this is a team that's got, as I mentioned in the first segment, a very good chance to win the Stanley Cup. I don't think that's going out on any kind of limb uh, to predict something like that. I don't think it's hopeful or wishful thinking or homerism or whatever you'd want to call it. Um, they're that deep. And as a result, there's going to be a lot of different storylines to be paying attention to. I have a feeling that for the first day or two, all anyone's going to want to know about or hear about are line combinations. Every time Mike Sullivan puts so-and-so with so-and-so or takes somebody else off the power play, it's going to be really, really big news uh, with local hockey fans, as it should be. Lines are, in addition to being fun, they're also really, really important. But I'm going to be looking for a handful of little things. I'm really curious to see the puck movement in general. I have a feeling that's going to lag behind even farther than the skating. Uh, for everything else that they could have been able to do up there during the two weeks of skills drills, uh, I can promise you that moving the puck in bulk with 12 other people on the, or sorry, 11 other people on the ice. Uh, wouldn't be one of them. And the way the Sullivan system works, it requires everybody to stick together, move in packs, defend together, support together when you're on offense. That's not going to be quick. That's not going to happen in the opening week of camp. So that'll be one thing that I'm looking at. I'm also going to be looking at some individual players. There's obvious ones. I mentioned Gensel. I've mentioned Zucker, wherever it is that he ends up. Who's going to fit best with Malkin? I'm pulling kind of for Patrick Marlowe to get that chance, not out of any sappy sympathy or whatever. The guy's headed to the Hall of Fame, and he's had four months breather. He's going to be in just fine shape, uh, even at his age. Why not at least default to that and then see where it goes from there? But there's one player that I'm most looking forward to watching. If you take all the other circumstances out of it, if you take all the other variables up to and including the Penguins winning or losing, there's one player I feel is best equipped on this roster to really rise up, to become something that no matter what you thought of him beforehand, he'd be that much more. And if you've already guessed that I'm going to mention John Marino, then you're really pretty good at this. doesn't mean my answer is the right one. You might have somebody else you're looking at like that. Mine happens to be that amazing kid. So far in the NHL, the only thing we've seen that John Marino can't do is withstand a puck right into his face. That's the only thing that slowed the kid down over the course of the past year. And he was obviously able to come back from that. Uh, he's skating, of course, without a shield. Everything has long since healed. 
the kid could do anything, and he was able to do it. If you go back to last September to the original training camp, he just was dropped onto the ice and just started squirting around. You know the way when you throw dogs into a swimming pool and they just can swim just like that? That's what this kid was. There wasn't anything that you'd look at his game and go, yeah, but he's got to work on that or he's got to work on this. That's not to say that he didn't have instruction. Uh, He didn't have people teaching him a lot of the different things about how the NHL works and his being as, as, as bright as he is, uh, Harvard kid and everything else, he was able to absorb all of that and continue to absorb it and stay humble throughout the season and just keep growing and growing and growing as a player. But the playoffs are something else. The playoffs are a place where we appreciate defensemen maybe more than we do in the regular season. We'll notice when a defenseman is playing uh, great defense or is playing great matchup defense because when you get into a playoff, you're going to have a situation where, hey, we need a guy on Ovechkin or we need a guy on Stamkos. We need somebody to go out there and take away the other team's best player. I don't know that that's going to be Marino's assignment, but I'm saying in general that we notice and appreciate great defensive performances. I'll ask you this. Did you notice and appreciate the little things that Brian Dumoulin does anywhere near as much as you did after the 2016 and 2017 uh, Stanley Cup championship runs? I'm guessing not. But when you're so zeroed in on every little play, you pick up on all of those things, and you'll embrace somebody who's playing great defense. John Marino's game originates on the back end. Uh, everything that he does begins with something that he does in the Pittsburgh zone or something that he does in creating a turnover wherever he happens to be on the rink in generating an attack in the other direction. The fact that he's able to then lead or support the attack is the part that most people will notice. They won't notice what happened at the other end. He's that good. That's that's not normal for a young defenseman. Nothing about his career path is normal for a young defenseman, not least of which is the fact that he went right from college to the NHL. I'm here to tell you that was rare 20 years ago. That was rare back whenever not a lot of things were rare. But here comes this kid right into camp, looking at a depth chart which he had absolutely no business penetrating. And it took no more than five or six days until I had people up in Cranberry telling me that kid is going to make the team. And I go, what kid? (laughs) I mean, I watched him too, but I wanted to hear the name. And they'd say, John Marino's going to make it. Oh, really? Who's he going to, whose place is he going to take? It doesn't matter. He's that good. And then you think, well, he's going to be around for a little bit, but eventually they're going to have to send him back to the American League. No, never happened. Never came close to happening. That's not normal. It's way more common for a forward to do something like that, because a forward will come up and just have a bunch of skill uh, and show you that if nothing else, they're going to be able to pot a few goals for you, and that if they go to the American League, you're also going to get worried about the 
opposite occurring where you strip them of some of their creativity. John Marino was a no-brainer in any facet. He had no business ever spending a shift in Wilkesbury. And to see that happen over the course of his rookie season, and you know, I, I'm hoping this kid gets at least some kind of recognition in the Calder Trophy voting. I don't think he'll be a finalist. There are three other defensemen, uh, and believe it or not, they're all defensemen uh, who are who are up there in the voting. Quinn Hughes of the Canucks is some people's favorite. Uh, Kale McCarr of the Avalanche is the guy that a lot of people think will win it. It's a terrific group. I don't think he'll crack the finalists, in part because he spent some time, as I'd mentioned, out with the injury to his face. But believe me, people around hockey notice this kid. And what he can do, what he can do in a playoff is elevate that much further. He's made, I look at a a player like that, regardless of his age or his experience level, and I see someone who's made for the playoffs. You need complete players on the rink. You don't want your coaches to be thinking, well, I don't want to put that guy out there in this situation because he's a liability on this or he's a liability at that. You want complete players on the rink. You don't want to be thinking about where the where the faceoff is, what the score is. John Marino is a player that you can win a Stanley Cup with, another Stanley Cup with. And having the opportunity here to watch him, to watch him through this camp, to watch him into these playoffs, for me, is going to be a little bit of a fun microcosm of everything that's to come. At 3 p.m. today, Jeff Hartman will bring you Back Through the Tunnel, his program that he does every day with a member of our staff. Good stuff. Really hope you listen to it. I'm glad you listened to this one, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk again Monday morning. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your bike, your computer, your window, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home, car, and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you own a firearm, it's your responsibility to store it safely when it's not in use. Choose a system that works for you. Cable locks, lock boxes, and gun safes are some of the most effective ways to protect your family and keep firearms secured. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure and find out how to get a free firearm safety kit. Visit projectchildsafe.org. That's projectchildsafe.org. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.